Welcome to Pelly Talks, brought to you thanks to Seed Golf Balls, who deliver you affordable tour performance, same performance, half the price. Check them out at www.seedgolf.com and try them today. Before we get stuck into this episode, if you could do a couple of things for me, that would be absolutely fantastic. So if you enjoy these episodes, please do leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. And the second thing, if you head over to www.pettygolf.com, there's loads of clatter up there. There'll be new information up there about the Petty Talks Golf Day coming soon. And I'm working on some merchandise, t-shirts, grab bags, tees, hats, that type of thing. So be sure to join the timesheet at www.pettygolf.com. On this week's show, we have the big man, the unit straight out of douglas former professional golfer and now back being an elite amateur here in ireland leading the charge for growing the game in cork it's peter o'keefe but first roll it there roisin i mean listen we're talking about practice joe bradley told us the production line was finished in Kerry. Well, joe bradley what do you think of that Thanks for pressing play. On today's show, we have a man who's been there and back again, former professional golfer, now back smashing it around as an elite Irish amateur, while also running his own fitness and golf performance business. Another Cork man this week, it's Peter O'Keefe. Welcome to the show, man. Hi, Paddy. Thanks for having me. I think you're like the fifth Cork person I've had in the show, lad. This is the end of it, so the end of a good run. <laughs> <laughs> the end of a good um, run. I should rename it. Um, I should call it the Paddy Echo or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> Best of luck with that one. You've been there and back in, like I said, in terms of you were, you know, one of the top amateurs, you turned pro, now back on the amateur circuit. But for you, Peter, what would, what would be your earliest golfing memory? Um, good question. I took a lesson from Brendan McDade, I think when I was about 11 or 12. Um, my dad brought me up to the driving range at Frankfield and we had just moved house over there. So uh, I loved it straight away. I was playing soccer, rugby, basketball. I was actually playing probably everything. And... Um, just took to golf straight away, joined the golf club there in Frankfield and uh, I probably was the only juvenile for a lot of years. So was playing with older people and, and men for all the world. Um, so I suppose that has an effect that you grow up fairly quickly. But um, there was a great guy up there who came in as professional then, David White. Um, he was a brilliant mentor for me for years. Um, became very friendly, still very friendly. Um, and I used to actually caddy for him then in the Irish region proams and you know as my game was developing and so on he was he was there for that so I suppose that's that's the start of the journey no bang on how old were you when you picked up a golf club um I was 11 but the first lesson I had Brendan was actually finishing up as head pro um I think he was moving on to Ratsala and he lived in the same park as me um 11 didn't really kind of kick on very quickly because I was playing other sports um but kept going to the driving range and kept learning how to hit the ball properly and you know I think I I really started competitively when I was about 13 or 14 so kind of I suppose in in today's terms late enough no bang on like I when I was in college in Cork for four years so Frankfield was a haunt of mine as well so it's a great place very close to the town and um some decent facilities there still with all the competing sports, especially in Cork, and I suppose, I don't know, were you 6'5 as well when you were 11? Um, but you went to America for college uh, on a golf scholarship, I believe. So what, when was the period or what age were you when you were like, okay, 
maybe the Cork Seniors isn't the best idea. I'm going to go all in on golf. When was that? Yeah, I um, I had a, yeah, I played, I was playing football in school. I was playing soccer for a team and I was playing basketball in school. I was playing rugby for Cork Con. So, you know, I, I it just, I, I think my personality suited to golf unknowns to me at the time. Um, I didn't like the team environment. I hated the mentality of being in the dressing room, being shouted at to try and get you going. I, I, I don't have any issue with that. So I think as an individual playing golf, that really suited me. And I could spend days on my own practicing on a golf course, happy out as a very young child. So um, I think that that was the biggest catalyst for me is that, you know, it just suited, it suited my personality. And I think it still suits my personality. Hence, probably I'm still, I'm still slogging it. So in terms of Louisiana, was it Louisiana you ended up in? Yeah. Did they find you or did you find them? Uh, a little bit of both. I I was on the Irish youths team. We had under 21 golf back in those days. Um, you know, I, I finished my leave insert and, you know, had a had an instant grow to go to work and make money and, and, and drive on that way. I had no kind of aspiration. I, I wanted to play well and I wanted to be a good player. But I kind of had a realization when I was about nineteen twenty that look a lot of players are going to America and they're taking that leap of faith. So I was lucky in the sense that Mervyn Owens, who was a very good friend of mine, Marco Sullivan at the time, um, they were in southeastern Louisiana and the coach was recruiting. So I was looking at another college in South Carolina at the time and Tim Baldwin, the coach at, at SLU, got me over for a recruitment trip. So I went over for a weekend, um, loved it. Absolutely loved it. Um, loved the environment. Loved the facilities. You know, Louisiana as a state it can be a fairly rural enough spot, so that's where I ended up in a place called Hammond. And best best three years. I I I went and I was having this conversation with a girl in Cork who's going to the going to the state soon. You know, similar to me at the time, not sure of where she's going. I I, was, I wasn't sure of where my game was going or where I needed to be. Um minute I got there there was unbelievable structure you know and, and now like I work for the as a GUI coach I see a lot of players who have the game that I know will suit in the states and I'm absolutely pushing them to go to America and you know trying to lend any contacts I have in the states for them because it's an unbelievable environment if you want to be a professional golfer because it not only tests you as a player it's going to test you to be away from home it's going to test how you function in a team environment with different nationalities and there is there is a big adjustment there um and it's going to test how how competitive you are because you know it's not about just going to the states and i'm going to be a better player it's not it's not like that you're going to have to play your way onto the team you know i missed my first team in qualifying when i got there and i was distraught because the feeling of left being left behind um didn't suit me at all and it really kind of lit a fire in me that i made every single team for my entire time in the states and we were we were a good team the last year i mean we were top 20 school when i left and a couple of my teammates have gone on to be like hugo leon is on the european tour another guy in south africa is a very good player aaron o'callaghan is is went into coaching so we had a we had a good team of good good players um so it's it's just an unbelievable environment if you get the right college you know absolutely and i suppose i'd be the same ilk like i like i didn't i wasn't on any sporting scholarships but um, when I came out of college, one of the first things I did was I worked abroad for a couple of years. And it's the making of you, really. So the, the earlier you can do that in life, the better. 
um, you definitely learn how to make your own omelets. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> um, you know, I landed in Italy and I was like, like in the the eco, the epicenter of food on the planet, not knowing how to yeah. make pasta. Do you know what I mean? So I, I learned. Yeah, yeah. Look at me now. I, I learned to feed myself fairly quickly. Um, <laughs> so like, it's a very competitive environment. Um, well, college sports is in general. So is that the reason when you finished there, you, you felt you were over level to, to turn pro or what was the decision making process behind that? Um, I, I won a tournament in college. I started going to a coach in Tennessee. So I used to drive four hours each way to see this guy called Rob Akins and he was coach David Toms, who was a Louisiana native. So I had met David Toms and Rob Akins. He came, they came to our college and, you know, I had a, he just pulled me aside and he said, if you do this, this and this, you could be a really good player. So he basically taught me how to fade the ball. I was a very underneath player when I went to the States, big high right to left player and full out every time. And, you know, I, I think getting getting that, you know, guidance from him really turned me around as a player. Um, and it's just pushed me on then to, you know, I suppose be a, a technically minded player and want to learn more about how I play the game you know it was tour school you went to so when you were going to tour school there was a couple of stages it, it changed nearly almost every year so what was it like for you going to tour school what was your expectations and what did you end up with yeah no so sorry just to come back to your first question so then leading leading on from that I came back and um, that summer and I played I played okay I played well and I played really well in the interpros and in Baltray at that time anyway long story short I was passed up for the Irish team and I, I entered tour school to see basically where I was at. And in those days it was in St. Anne's. And I remember, you know, I'm a great people watcher in general. Um, but I remember playing with Simon Thornton in the last round of first stage and it was blowing a gale and I had a, a very good pal of mine catting for me. And, you know, Simon's attitude was something I really learned from very, very quickly because he was just right. What I thought unflappable and no surprise to me, he went on to be a European tour winner because he just had a brilliant attitude. And I birdied the last two holes in that first stage to get through on the number. And it was, it was, I still remember it. It was a, just a fantastic sense of achievement, something I'd never experienced before because I felt in my head, I had all of a sudden, springboarded myself past a lot of the players who would have gotten picked on let's say the Irish team ahead of me at the time right um so from there I went on to say stage two in Spain and I finished second at that stage I just again played lovely and all of a sudden you know you're, you're going down the road back down to to San Rock at the time and it was just the excitement of it is is I suppose you know something I'd still crave like that that environment getting to tour school and the buzz you know, even I was there at Robin this year, it's still the same. It's just fantastic energy. Like cause everyone is trying their, their hearts out. There's, there's a, you know, there's, there's proper stuff on the line. Um, didn't play great at tour school that year, got a, a decent enough category on the challenge tour. And back in those days, the Irish sports council, as it was then known, had brilliant support from the European challenge tour. So we got loads of invites. And if you had any challenge tour card, backed up by the invites you were pretty much have you were playing a full schedule that year so I had I suppose I had six good years or six years of of plenty of exposure and plenty of of events um to learn and it was a great learning and it's still stuff I I think about now like you know absolutely um 
few people I've had on on this little dodgy podcast of mine um would be Colin Moriarty um Gavin and uh, Connor Rooker's coming on soon as well. Hopefully, Robin, who you mentioned as well, I've been plaguing him as well. But in terms of their attitude towards the challenge tour, now Colin would have been on it um, years previous to yours, was just get off it as fast as you can. While now it seems like there can be a decent living made out of it, but it's still that's the attitude is it's it is a stepping stone tour um, to try and get on to the, on to the European. What's your, what's your um, opinion on the challenge tour these days? Um. I think it's, yes, it's a, a stepping stone tour, let's say. It's not a tour you're going to, I suppose, stay on and make a living. And I think by default, if you do, in inverted commas, make a living, you're probably going to progress on to the next tour anyway. Um, it's, you know, I, I suppose the realisation for me, I, I, I was 31, I think, when I finished. And I, I, I remember playing with players and look, and like hearing the conversations that they were married and, and, and so on, and they had this, that, and the other. And I'm just looking at it going, lads, like, A, I don't think you have the game. B, you know, you haven't had the conversation with yourself. And, you know, C, it's not it's not the place you're going to make enough money to sustain all this. And I suppose that was my decision at the time. I, I had other interests that I wanted to get going on. But, you know, I think, yes, it's a, it's a brilliant, for me, the first couple of years, First year in particular, I was really learning, you know, it was a different environment straight away for me, different players, players I knew. Like the the year I played, the first Q school, I played with Peter Gustafsson, like a player I had looked up to, you know, and all of a sudden I'm playing with him. And, you know, now, years on, I really, you know, obviously if it was, you know, someone of, of major stature, like, but in general, you, you don't really mind because you, you, you kind of know yourself well enough, like, but... There's a lot of that stuff, and when that kind of passes, you know, you feel you find you you feel you're ready for that that stage or that environment. But you know, again, like it's it's all about levels. You know, some people come into the European tour and they feel they belong straight away. Other people, do, you know, take a little bit of time. It's all about adjusting and and getting used to the to where you are. You know, when you reflect back over your six or so years, is there anything in particular you would have changed, maybe approach or recovery or anything like that? I would have changed the amount of money in my bank. That's the biggest thing. <laughs> I didn't. What do you mean by that? Now is that is that in terms of how you would address getting support or? Yeah, and I I did I did have support. I mean, geez, the like I I got lots of support from the Irish Sports Council. I had, you know, f- private people who helped me a little bit. I the old head were fantastic. They used to give me a day every year, and I used. To, uh, I used to do a fundraising day, but again, and this is not to, this is not to, I suppose, scare anyone who's trying to raise money. It's, it's a lot of work and you're trying to focus on your golf and you're trying to get your golf off the ground and you have to do this day. And, you know, it's all stuff you do have to do, to be fair, unless someone can just write you a check. And I was close, I I was close to that a couple of times and I just can't put my finger on why it just never happened. It just didn't happen. And that's, that's fine. But, you know, I, it's, that was one thing I couldn't ever let go of in the back of my head you know that you know I, I was always conscious of of funding the operation if you if you get me um so I think that was the, the that was the big thing that kind of got me to to sit down and have a chat with myself so to speak no but like I think that's important especially for anybody listening like or anyone who's you know 15 16 17 and it's kind of like when you hear oh I'm a or you're a professional golfer, like when does the private jet take off? Yeah. You know, and like a lot of people, that's their impression of professional golfers. And it's not like that's, I would say it's the top 50 in the world, maybe might get that treatment. Yeah. 
it was funny. It was funny. Actually, I played, I think I played the East of Ireland that year before I turned pro with Jimmy Carville, right? And Jim had just come back as an amateur. And I think he won the East by a street that year. And I was like, who's this fella? Like, no one knew him. Like, who's this guy? He's, oh, he's some old pro. He ends up win- beating the life out of the whole lot of us. But he did say this to me. He said, you know, what are you up to? And I said, oh, yeah, I'm thinking of turning pro. And he said, don't even think about it unless you have a bucket of money, right? I'll never forget it. And I kind of thought it's time, yeah, whatever. Once I get out there, I'll clean up, you know? And I literally thought, I, I was convinced that when I did get out there and I was convinced I'd get on the European tour that I would clean up, but it just, it just didn't happen for whatever reason. And, and a lot, a lot of it, and I hear people say, Oh, if you're good enough in golf, it's irrelevant. It's not irrelevant. I would argue that, you know, till the end, till the end of, of time, because if you don't have the funding, there's plenty of good players who didn't make it to where they probably could have due to the lack of support and financial support or, you know, the lack of financial support put them in the position where they had to go and do a job or get into another industry and, and then they're gone down a different road, you know? So transitioning back to amateur. So I think I heard Peter Laurie talk about this, that it might take him 20 years because is it determined on how much you earn on tour or is it determined about how long you were active as a professional? So I, well, for me personally, it was two years based on uh, the level of events you had played as a professional. I had played uh, an Irish Open, so I had to adhere to the European Tour weight, which is two years. I'm pretty sure. I thought it was just. I thought it, they break it down to two and one year. I'm not. I could be. I stand corrected on that. But um. So yeah, I had to. That was my. That was my sentence, if you like. Um. So is that two years then of you not being able to play in any competition? Then. Yeah. Yeah. So, but how, was, it, how, did, how were you able to handle that? Um, I was okay because Douglas Golf Club uh, gave me a handicap of plus three and I was able to play in the club competitions there. So I was, you know, but I could never win any prizes or anything. It was just to take part, which was great. And it was, it was something because, you know, sometimes, and I knew, you know, I couldn't play in any events for X amount of years. And, but you just have to, that's the decision you make. You just have to live with it, you know. You were keen to stay at the elite level. Like you weren't going to slink off into the doldrums and into the history books of, this or oh, this guy used to be a pro. So what? Where does that attitude come from? Is that just from being Cork, or is it from like the O'Keefe household? Or uh, well, yeah, the household certainly has something to do with it. Um, we've a very competitive mindset ingrained in our in our. I have two brothers, and we're all we're all very competitive in 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 whatever we do. Um, but yeah, I, like when I I could have just stayed pro. You know, I could have just stayed there. I'll, I'll get my PGA. And I did the PGA for a few years. And I, I, you know, and I said, no, I said, I want to do something else. And, but I said, if I want to turn back amateur or go back amateur, I want to do it right. And I wanted to win. Um, So, yeah, that decision was made. I had a chat with Noel Fox, who's still my coach and some fella, a guy I still look up to. And, you know, again, another mentor and a fellow I would have played competitively with on the challenge tour but also as an amateur he was you know he was the guy everyone looked up to and he was he was phenomenal player uh, he was the guy yeah he like when i was playing golf in my teenagers like he was on top of all the statistics like i used to open yeah. the back of golf monthly and like where's foxy this month and like you know it was ridiculous, ridiculously consistent but phenomenal player like phenomenal and was able to do things 
in in weather that would blow most people off the golf course and and there he there he would be you know but again a great guy to bounce things off and, a, and an unbelievable wealth of knowledge in like it, it's just he's just never ending he's like every every phone call i have with him it there, i come off and going christ is just something new there again like you know but anyway like yeah so that was the plan i i said look this is what i want to do and he said fine let's do it and and we did it and made an awful lot of changes and i i was shanking shots for weeks and the, but I stuck with it and it started to look better and then it started to prepare better and you know I wanted to play the west in 17 and he was saying you're not it's not ready it's just not ready and I didn't and then we started kind of putting the face on the ball properly and you know it, it, it started to realize that I started to realize that there was a genuine chance that there was a change happening um and it was fairly, I won't say it was instant because there was a lot of work there, but as soon as I started competing properly in 2017, there was a nice momentum um, happening, which which obviously came to a lovely realisation in May. What happened in May? So that was, sorry, um, that was the Irish Amateur Open then in 2017. So that was kind of my my re-entry back into playing elite golf and doing quite well and, and, and so on. But it was a lovely kind of, I suppose it was there was a lovely element of of gratitude to the work that Noel had done with me and I, I had done with Noel, but like that we had decided to do something and it it worked and it worked absolutely, you know, beyond what I what I wanted. But it was it was it was absolutely perfect, you know. No, no, it's it's great to see. Like I'm doing a bank of work at the moment, and it's like you're trying to compartmentalize everything and um between actual work like nine to five and I feel like have to do, I, I get to do my mobility and I have a kid and I have to, you know, practice and stay healthy and recover. Like there's a lot in it to try and, you know, there's, there's a lot of moving parts, especially when like, it's not your full-time gig, but when you want to hit the heights of, you know, the, the best you can be, you know, so it's, um, it's, it's massively rewarding. So I'm not there yet, but I can envision it. But you know what, what you just said there, envisage it. It's very funny. We, we had a, a Zoom call today with the Munster branch and, and the under 16 and under 18 players were there. And we were talking about exactly that. And, you know, like if you can't envisage yourself being what you want to be or, you know, whatever the goal is from monthly medal to being a good chipper to winning the Irish amateur to being a Ryder Cup player. You know what I mean? If you genuinely can convince yourself that it could happen, it's just, it's unlikely it's going to happen. So like that is, I, I find like, as I, as I get older, the little attributes or snippets that, that the best players have, they've all gone through that and they've, they've convinced themselves of it, you know? No, absolutely. Like look at what Tommy Fleetwood did, you know, and everyone's like, oh, he's, he's the most consistent player on tour. But like, what, what is it now? Maybe four years ago now? Like he'd be used with the driver, couldn't keep it between the lines, and then eighteen months later, after a bank of work, when he could envision what he could be, he's like number one in Europe, mm. and like has has stuck there. So, um, take the best from what's out there. You don't need to reinvent the wheel. That's kind of my yeah, yeah. motto. It's gonna be on my grave. Porter Lynch did not reinvent the wheel. <laughs> um, copied and pasted his entire life. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> in, in, but, uh, interviewed everyone in Ireland. <laughs> look, everyone, everyone has a goal. Absolutely. Um, was one of your goals then always setting up your own business? Yeah, I'm. I'm. Yeah, it 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 is. It, I'm very business minded. I've I've been and like again, some of them haven't worked. I had a pub once. Um, 
you know, I was involved in a gym company. I'm, you know, within that was the O'Keefe Golf Performance was was invented, so to speak, or launched. But it's that that is something that you know it's it's in me. That's in my DNA. Like I love talking about golf. Um, I'd never stop, I, and I never will stop. It's just it's just who I am. So I suppose that started off. Uh, in a raw enough setting and then that improved because i put a swing studio into the the gym which really worked and then that's and nobody was doing that sorry nobody was doing that so like to to have the creativity and i suppose the boss to go do it with something else yeah and particularly i suppose in a, in a spot in cork that wasn't a golf spot if you like but i just knew it would work because you know I did, I even coming up and doing some of the TPI courses and I, I just felt there's something else that needs to be, and this is no disrespect to anyone else who, who does it a different way, but I needed the player to hit shots and I needed the player to have the feedback, you know, going a step further on a launch monitor, in my case, a track man in a room that can get the instant feedback. So, you know, I think people really respond well to that. I think younger players elite players certainly respond well to that but that can go you know loads of different directions you know a lot of people I work with are middle-aged people that just love golf they want to have a good chat about golf they have areas they want to work on physically which we work on and then they get to hit shots as well it might be some sort of challenge or it might start it might be some sort of journey they're on for speed etc but it just adds I suppose to what I'm doing um and they complement each other quite nicely, you know. Absolutely. So you're based on a Douglas Golf Club now. So what's what's the setup like that you have in, in Douglas Golf Club? Yeah, very good. We have um, just the exact same swing room up there. Um, so Stephen Hayes, the head pro, and myself would have, uh, I suppose, joined forces three, four years ago with, with a, a, ju- a juvenile development committee in Douglas to, I suppose, drive the juvenile golf, to put a structure in there, to put a plan in there. So um it's a very forward thinking golf club we're blessed to have john McHenry up there now as the um as the general manager again john was a great mentor to me over the years and he's a very forward thinking guy and he brings a lot of vision in with him from his experiences working in the k club etc and, and big clubs around the place so yeah there's 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 good plans that the clubhouse is about to be reopened um big development there and we're talking about putting a fitness facility in there fairly soon as well so um yeah it's it's a it's a very vibrant club and and i kind of tested the water there over the last few years because i do a lot of fitness classes in the golf club and they've re- they've really taken off and the response is huge so there's a, a lovely i suppose um interest in fitness of all levels in the club so there's a, there's a good momentum there for it you know no, absolutely. There's there's a there's a side as well that that isn't covered that you do a lot of work with, and it's actually the first time we met was a couple of years ago in Ballyneesy of all places. Yeah, was for the Elds for Autism Game On program first of all get certified in it. So what what level of work do you do on on that side of things for we'll say golf for all you might call it for dis, for disabilities and for for kids with autism? After I met you that time, um, I, I a physio I work with in Cork, Darren Prince. And we got in touch or anyway, there was a conversation started between the three of us and the third part of that group was Cork Sports Partnership. And we wanted to come up with a disability golf program um, 
in Cork and there was all different types of ideas coming around and, and you know, how are we going to mix someone with a mental disability maybe with someone who had just had a stroke, you know, these kind of challenges. So we just said, look, let's just make it golf for all. And that's what we call the program. Um, so we had great, we'd absolutely, and we were, it was a pity actually, because we were just trying to get it up and running again before, you know, the situation we're in now happened, but it will, it will happen again. But we did it in Mahan Golf Club because we got Cork City Council involved. Um, then Michael Ford from um, Special Olympics got involved. My dad got involved and my sister-in-law has a rare syndrome called rubenstein Taby syndrome which means you know she's fairly limited now she's bright as a as as anything but she she came down and she got involved and she enjoyed it you know what i mean but like i suppose the challenge for me was setting up the sessions for people with various mobility issues um but we did it and we just did it around the putting green and i had a load of snag gear and we brought a few nets and you know the 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 people who were I suppose the instructors, if you want to call them, like my dad, my wife came down a couple of nights, and uh, Michael Ford came down. All these different people started arriving out of nowhere, and it created a sense of environment. It was unbelievable, to be fair. And we did it for, I think we did it for about eight weeks. Um, people loved it. People loved it. So, yes, it's 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 something I'm really keen to keep going. Um, and again, you, you know, you just need a bit of support from golf clubs or but I, I you know i don't think there's any problem with that you know no absolutely not um and if there is you're in the wrong club yeah and if you ask me <laughs> but like um something i got out of that day and i've run a couple of sessions up myself um with various groups especially down in castle gregory um i've been out there a couple of times with the randall and stuff um and we're looking to set one up here in, in the nace slash dublin area because there's numerous schools for autism and especially with disabilities as well so again um COVID-19 put pay to that for a couple of months but something I got out of that day was actually how fun you can make golf for people who'd never picked up a golf club before you know not not even with a disability or, or with autism or whatever but like just how fun it can be made for kids and even for like their parents looking on going geez I never thought golf was like this yeah, do you know. Yeah. So, like, how does golf need to change? Because I, I think it does massively from club to club. It's like some clubs like Douglas are fantastic, other clubs not so much. But like the game itself, how does it need to change to like entice people and kids and adults alike to take part? Uh, I think like anything, the right people need to be in the right seats at the right time, and I think, um, there's unfortunately there's still some people in the wrong seats that make decisions hard to 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 happen uh you know every club has their challenges i think making a golf club as a destination like let's say we fast forward a year and douglas has a gym a fantastic practice facility which it already has uh, a trackman studio which it now has and an unbelievable clubhouse which it now has so now, now we are opening it up to your whole family being able to go to the golf club. You know, you're the, you know, whoever wants to do in that family something different, they can all do it, and then meet back in the clubhouse. And I think, you know, if if a golf club goes a step further and let's say hosts a golf for all program or whatever, I think you're really kind of ticking a lot of boxes. Then that the golf club is providing the environment for all this stuff to happen. Um, and I, but again, you can only lead by example. And I, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm delighted. I'm really proud of the club I'm a member of. And we have, we have the right people in the right seats now. 
probably wasn't always the case, but that's consistent in every golf club. But mindsets change as times move on. But, you know, I think, you know, people say, how, where do you see golf going? I, I really do think it's mindset. Now, obviously harder for some clubs to achieve certain facilities, but, you know, when I go up to Douglas and I, I know I keep harping on about Douglas, but it, it really, it really is 90, 90% there with the people, the facilities and the mindset. And I think that's really driving the right message then within that club, you know. I'm not going to name names, but we'll take Douglas as the case study here and that they're really embracing their local community. And I think that's something that clubs in general need to do more of, you know. Yeah, um, 100%. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, definitely. So instead of like waiting for people to walk in the door, it's kind of like historically and legacy wise golf courses or golf clubs are pretty intimidating places especially if you've never darkened the door of one like my like i've always walked in and out of the hinch golf because they included me um from being within um the local community right yeah and um, so I, I have no problem but my dad like petrified to walk in yeah, yeah you know yeah. you know <laughs> like you know came in a couple of times and just thought they were inviting and you know it was a fun place to be and the culture is right yeah like you know for for lunch or for dinner with me and no problem but like it it takes someone to bring them in they're not like someone's not just going to walk in of their own behalf and say actually can i can i play some golf here you know it's just not going to happen yeah 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 no but it, like i mean again it it's this will change you know what i mean this and, and like the i think the the idea of you know, snootiness or whatever, I think it's just basically outdated right now, you know, especially when you're talking about trying to grow the game and get people into golf, you know? Absolutely. Like, uh, there's a new hashtag I'm trying to start. It's uh, hashtag Blazer Free Zone. So feel free to use it. Uh, <laughs> there's a time and a place, you know, there's a time and a place for a blazer, South of Ireland time. Yeah, my dad, my dad, you say, my dad used to call it the Blazer Brigade, like, you know, or still calls it the Blazer. And it was so funny, the night, the, the week I won the Irish Amateur, there was, you know, a night for me up in the club, um, which was brilliant. But every officer of the club showed up in their blazer and there was blazers everywhere. And my dad is not a blazer guy. So, you know, it was a kind of a, a, a it was a funny one for him to be there in amongst what he would call the blazer brigade. But yeah, look, sure, look, the the pro- well, the thing is, you know, if, if you wear a blazer or whatever, it's just, it's getting the right people with the right mindset. And I think things can change that, that way. Thank you very much for your time, buddy. Uh, it's been a great chat. A great insight into like where you've come from um, there and back again and all the work, the great work you're doing for Munster Golf and for Golf in the Country uh, and still representing the the, the country uh, f- f- uh, locally, far and globally. So keep it going. Hopefully in a few years time, um, I might get low enough to play in a money game or something like that. Yeah, more than but, welcome. Uh, <laughs> more than welcome. We're, we're playing the hinge though. You'll probably still beat me there. You know, it's not at all. <laughs> but it's time now for the quick fire Q&A so I, I, this is the real intensive part of the podcast so are you okay. ready okay super so what would your walk on song be Peter O'Keefe um my well yeah my walk on song would be Massive Attack Teardrop it's a great tune that one that's a nice little tune that is um Jim or Pizza I probably should say Jim but I'm not I'm gonna say Pizza I literally just had a pizza before I got in the phone good man good man yeah they're good, they're, they're good for you. You can make one for under a thousand calories. It can be done. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's tough, but like, you know, go easy on the cheese. Absolutely. Um, hat visor or a Killian Rafferty bucket hat? Uh, a hat. And those those Rafferty hats should be banned. And he knows I think that anyway. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm on the cusp of buying one. I'm on the cusp. 
And right. I think, and I think because like of all this isolation, I've been driven mad enough to actually. There are, there are, um, there are nice Lahinch ones, aren't there? They're, I think the Hinch do though. Yeah, yeah, there you, yeah, there you go. Now. Ones, you know, um, there you go. You have to rock the right hairstyle. So now that there's no barbers available either, I'll have the right amount of locks. Like, yeah, yeah, ideal. Needed, you know, ideal. Um, Happy Gilmore or Tin Cup? Oh, Tin Cup, definitely. Hundred percent. Guinness or Heineken? Guinness. Lahinch or Portmanock? Lahinch. Walk or cart? Walk. Win the Masters or win the Open? The Open. Would you rather drive it 300 yards every time or never miss a 10-foot putt? Oh, uh, 10-footers. Good man. Instagram or Twitter? Twitter. Play or practice? Play. Good man yourself, Peter. Thanks so much for your time. We'll see each other when this COVID-19 thing has hopefully passed us all. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, um, oh, before we go, can you explain to everyone who doesn't follow you what you've done with your backyard? Um, when when we moved into this house about four years ago, we did the house up um, and we didn't. There was kind of an, a, an effort at putting a garage together, which obviously wasn't finished by the previous owner. So what I did, I suppose when the inverted commas locked down I went away and I painted it and I, I put AstroTurf on it and it's brilliant because it's now a little thing I use for chipping um, and I have all my fitness stuff out there and I'm just doing fitness videos for people and I'm doing I'm doing Zoom classes for the Douglas ladies on Monday um, which would be great and they want to keep their fitness going so i think it's going to be a little uh, little fitness studio online job for a while but sure it's good it's good not fair but i think you've got one of the best um backyard golf setups in the country so fair play yeah so far anyway so far so good you're right yourself look we'll, we'll talk right. to you again soon hopefully in person okay time, buddy. take care take care bye see you soon okay. see you soon bye-bye that was Peter O'Keefe, uh, the mighty Douglas man. Uh, do check him out on Instagram at O'Keefe Golf Performance and uh, Peter O'Keefe there on Twitter. All those links will be in the show notes below. If you're on iTunes or Facebook, they'll all be there. Um, yeah, so thanks for listening in. Do check out the classes Peter does remotely as well on Zoom. Um, nearly killed me, one of those, but um, did feel the benefits the next day and the day after and uh, mobility-wise, etc. But yeah, they're really good classes, really good to get involved and really good for your golf and general fitness. So do, yeah, give Peter a follow, get involved in what he creates around there. And if you can, check him out on the Irish circuit and in those majors played around the country, which will bring us to next week's podcast, which is Greener, the Lantern, uh, going through his amateur career and how Port Marnock Golf Club are reinvigorating junior golf. But until then, please do share the show with your family and friends. Until we meet up again soon, I'm Paddy. Paddy.